Today's daf is Samechet in Masechet Pesachim. We are on Samech Zayin. Uh, we said uh, nine, ten lines from the bottom of the Amud. Amar Mor, the Master said, Zav v'chol zav l'rabot balkeri. We saw this yesterday, that uh, the word v'chol zav, it says, v'shalechu men ha-machane kol tzaro v'chol zav v'chol tamei l'nafesh. It's a pasuk in Parashat Naso in the beginning. You shall send from the camp Kol uh, everyone who has tarad, v'chol zav, anybody who has ziva, this type of a uh, emission from his body, v'chol tamei l'nafesh, anybody who is tamei from contact with the dead. So it's v'chol zav, l'rabot balkeri, and v'chol, the word v'chol comes to include not just a zav who has a more, uh, actually more serious condition, but even balkeri, someone who has seminal emission is also included in that as uh, really the, the ziva is considered almost like a uh, worse form of balkeri in a way. So it says, "Misayel el Rabbi Yochanan." This would seem to support Rabbi Yochanan. Dam Rabbi Yochanan, mechilot lo nitkadishu. Okay, that the mechilot. Rashi says that haneitar te milei sham inhu ki hadadei merabei vechi hadadei amrinu. So meaning these two things, um, that uh, these two things were stated together. So what does what does he say here? Yeah, so he says um, he heard them together from his teacher. That mechilot umerot shelatachat azara lo nitkadshu bektushat azara. That right, that there were different tunnels and things like that and caves underneath the azara. That, like we know the guy had to go when he was about carry had to go underneath. Right, he went underneath to get out as fast as possible. Go ahead, right? That's what it was. Right, if they would wake up in the morning, we learned about that. Yeah, and the kohanim that were staying there. Yeah, so they had the passageways to go under. So they were lo nitkadshu. So that and they were used as the escape. Uh, route. Well, we learned about that because the, the Kohanim would sleep over there, so sometimes they would wake up and they would have a problem in the morning if they were Balkari, so they, how would they leave? So they had those passageways also. So that supports the idea that Balkari is, uh, has to be sent out from, uh, from the area, right? So it's right? So these, these two things are, are related to each other, even though they're not directly related, because um, obviously, even if he was sent out only of Machanesh Chinah, only of the Beit Hamikdash, he wouldn't be allowed to be in the Beit Hamikdash when he's about carry. But the two things were stated together, right? The point is that uh, the first one is not really directly relevant to the discussion above. Because the discussion above was about how the Balkari not only is not allowed in the Beit HaMikdash, but he's also not allowed in the Har Habayit, which is called Machane Leviyah, the Levitical camp. But since that halacha was stated by Rabbi Yochanan together with the, the halacha about the passageways underneath the uh, Beit HaMikdash, so they said them together. But really, that's not directly connected to our, not directly, directly connected to our subject. Now, Medved, there is an objection to that. Balkari It says that the Balkari is like somebody who touched the Sheretz. So that's strange. So my love, the Machanotam, doesn't that mean with respect to their Machanot, they're allowed to go. The basic issue here is like this, that you, if you break things down, you have three machanot. You have, I mentioned yesterday, but basically you have what's called machanish china, which, is the, which in our terms would be called the Beit HaMikdash, okay? Uh, you have what's called the camp of the Levim, which in our terms would be called Har Habayit, and we have what's called Machane Yisrael, which in our terms would be Yerushalayim, let's say, or any walled city. So the, um, but machane, but the, these are the three levels. So the basic rule is that no Tamei person is allowed to go into the Beit HaMikdash. That's obvious. Now, on the, on the Har Habayit, somebody who has a Tumah that comes from their body, like a Balkari, is not allowed to go, but somebody who contracted Tumah from another source is allowed to go, and that's why, if a, even though a person might be Tamei Met, they're allowed to go on Har Habayit, as long as they're not Balkari. Okay? Then, Step back, uh, you know, obviously anybody who's Tameh is allowed to be in Yerushalayim except for Mitzoraim. They're the only ones that are not allowed to be in the city. Now, it says, doesn't that mean that Balkari is like Magasheretz regarding uh, their Machaneh? Meaning that they should, just like a person who touched a Sheretz, 
right, is only not allowed to go into the Bet HaMikdash, right? But really the Machane of the, uh, he, he doesn't have to stay off of the Harabait, okay? So, so too, because normally somebody who touched, who contracts Tumah from contact with something just isn't allowed to go into the Bet HaMikdash, but they're allowed to walk on Harabait. That's why we don't have to ask the guy who comes, uh, did you touch Sheretz today? If they, the people that go on the Harabait, they only have to go to the Mikveh for Balkeri. Right, so the so because it's a, a something that comes from their body. So it says that the magasheret is like Valkyrie, They're similar to each other, right? So the, you go to the mikveh. No, during the day, and then the, the next day. You need one day of waiting, one day, and then the follow, then and the mikveh. That's it. Meaning, if you touch a sh- dead sheretz in the morning, you could go to the mikveh five minutes later, and then that night you will be told. Yeah. So it's a one-day thing. Now, it says, my, so the implication is it's for the same machana, meaning that maybe the Balkari could go on the Bal- Harabait. That's what the Gemara is arguing. It's trying to argue that the Balkari should not be like the Zav. The Balkari should be allowed to go on the Harabait. Only not in the Beit HaMikdash. That's what it keeps trying to argue. It says, Lo, litum atam. No, it means regarding their Tum'ah, meaning just like the Tum'ah Vesheretz is only one day, the Tum'ah Balkari is one day, but the, the Tum'atam, hai Tum'at er ketiba. We don't need a special, uh, a special statement of a Braita to tell us that, uh, that, that Tum'at Kerry is one day just like Tumat Sheretz is one day. We know that from the Pasuk. The Torah says that. We, we, we don't need that from a, from a uh, because there's Tumat Erev in the Torah. They both have They both say that it's only one day Rather the Brighta must be saying that a Balkari is like a person who touched a Sheretz. He's allowed to go on the Harabait. It says, no. No, really, it's to teach you something about the nature of their Tum'ah, not to teach you that they're allowed to go on Harabait. So therefore, what? But it still wants to tell you that the Balkari is like somebody who touched a Sheretz. How so? That it doesn't matter how it happened. In other words, if a person had spicy food and caused them to have a, sp- a seminal emission, I'm not really sure if that would biologically be connected, but I guess could be. Right? So, uh, who knows? So if that happened, so he had a, he had a spicy food and had and, and Cause him have a seminal emission, he would be tamay, even though, or just simply, it's in a dream. A person wakes up from it, so that's uh, that would be the simple, uh, right? It's called mikrelayla, actually, in the Torah, meaning a simile, an, a nocturnal emission is technically what they call it, right? So, meaning it's beonis. It's even though the person didn't will it to happen, as opposed to as opposed to marital relations, um, which is beratzon. Uh, so, so it doesn't matter what caused the seminal emission to come out, and so too, it doesn't matter what caused you to touch the sheretz. I meant to, or I tripped, or it fell on me. There was a dead sheretz on the, on the roof, and it fell on me. It doesn't matter. You become tamay. That's what it means that maga, that maga uh, sheretz is the same as, uh, as Balkari, but not that they have the same restriction, because actually Balkari is stricter, because he's not allowed to go on Harabait, and the person who touched the sheretz is. So now we turn to, it, it says, Medeve, we raise an objection to that, and we turn to Samachet Amut Boil Nida, a person who had relations with a Nida. Now, a person who had relations with a Nida really should be like a person who touched the Sheretz, we would think. Right? Or like a Tmeimet, Kitmeimet, right? So, Ma Limai, what is it regarding? Ile Ma Litum Atam. If you'll say it's regarding the Tum'ah, meaning that it's a seven-day Tum'ah, I don't need a Brita to tell me that the Tum'ah for a person who had relations with a woman whose Nida is seven days. It's written in the Torah. I don't need a, a, a Brita. Right? Rather, it's telling you with regard to the Machaneh, meaning just like a person who's Tmeimet is only banned from going into the Beta Mikdash. He's not banned from Harabait. So too, the person who had relations with the Nida is only banned from going into the Beta Mikdash. He's not banned from Harabait. And that's also the Harabait. What? Whatever you want. Let's tell you something.
know. Whatever you want to do. Right? So he wants to go to the visit his friend Ahmad. I don't know. Who knows? They, they wanted to go there. They wanted to have a picnic there. They wanted to wave hello. I don't know. From a high place. I don't, I'm making it up. It has a Kiddushat to it. Some people want to be there. Maybe they want to learn Torah there. There's a they said that, uh, that sometimes the Chachamim would sit there in the, by the walls of the Beit HaMikdash. They would learn. Maybe. You know, it's a special place. Why do people go there today? Uh, only because they can't go to the Beit HaMikdash. But may, may, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, uh, the thing is, so with regard to, to since the Tumah of the Bo'el Nida, person who had relation, relations with the Nida, is like a touching Tumah. He doesn't... Uh, he, he, it doesn't, uh, it's not something that comes from his body, it's not it came from her body. So it's not considered to be a tum'ah that he brought from his body. So therefore he's compared to the Tumemet person that touched something and became Tumemet. So that, but there, what do you see? You see that the Braita is comparing what? Is comparing where they're allowed to go. It's saying that, oh, the Bo'el Nida is like a Tumemet. They're both allowed to go to Harabait, but not to the Bet HaMikdash. So, so too, when it compared to Macheret, to Balkeri, it also probably was talking about where they're allowed to go. And, the, and it is saying that a Balkari should be allowed to go on Har Habayit, just like somebody who touched a Sherat. And we just say, We should say the same thing, that really, the first part is also about the Machane. It's also about the camp. Right? So, so the, in other words, and that would mean, again, that the Gemara is trying to argue, how do we know that the Balkari is not allowed to go on the, uh, on the Har Habayit? Maybe he should be. Maybe only a Zav is not allowed to go there. So the Gemara says, Midiria, you can't compare it because these are two different things. We compare the, sher- the person who touched the Sheretz to the Balkari in a certain way, that both of them have the quality, that it doesn't matter how they became Tamei. Right? And we're comparing the Bo'el Nida, person who had relations with the Nida, to somebody who is Tememet, because they have something else in common, which is where they're allowed to go. But that doesn't mean that every comparison doesn't have to be on the same factor. I could compare to a person who touched the Sheretz to a Balkari in one way, and I could compare it to Mehmed to a person who is, uh, had relations with the Nida in a different way. It doesn't have to be the same way. So, Medveh, another objection. Mitzvah Chamur Mizav. A person who's a Mitzvah is more strict than a Zav. Vizav Chamur Mitzmehmet. Okay, and a zav is, is, is stricter than a tememet. Yatsa balkeri, right? So, so, she tememet chamor mimenu. So what does it say? It says a mitzvah is stricter than a zav. A zav is stricter than a tememet, okay? Which excludes balkeri, because a tememet is stricter than a balkeri, which excludes him from what? What is going on here? What is this talking about, right? So my yatsa, what does it mean? He goes out, he gets excluded, what does it mean? What does it mean? It's a lav yatsa miklal zav. Doesn't it mean he comes out of the category of zav? Meaning even though you're saying that the zav is stricter than the tememet, we're excluding the balkeri. We're saying yatsa's balkeri. Ubalichlal tememet. Right? And he's like a Tmehmet. That's what they're trying to prove. They're trying to prove that a Balkari should be able to go on Harabait, just not in the Beit HaMikdash. It says, no, Tmehmet chamur mimenu. Right, so, so right, right, so it says, right, so he, he should be, Ubalichlal Tmehmet. Deha Tmehmet chamur mimenu. Because the Tmehmet is stricter than him. Right? Umutar And is still allowed to go on Harabait. So, so too, a Balkari, which is not really a Zav, should be able to go on Harabait like a Tmehmet. Because even though the Tmehmet is stricter, he's allowed to go on the Harabait. Right? Lo, Yatami Machanet Tmehmet, Venichnas Machanet Zav. What it means is he leaves the category of the Tmehmet and goes into the category of Zav. Afalgav de Tmehmet Chamur Mimenu, Vemachanet Levia. Right, even though with respect to going on Har Habayit, 
right? With respect to going on Harabait, the Tmeimet person is allowed to go there. Even though it's, uh, even though Tumat Met is stricter than, uh, than Tumat Keri in many ways. The, the, yet the person who's Tumat Met is allowed to go there, but the Balkari is not. Okay? And that's the, uh, that's why it says, Vafalgab the Tumat Chamur Mimenu, Bemachane Leviat should say, yeah, the language is not exactly smooth. Umutar, it should say, right? Bemachane Leviat. Lemai didamele midaminele. Right? We compare it in, in the way that it's comparable. In other words, we compare, we say that even though the, it doesn't go basically, the point is it doesn't go by strictness. Even though Tumat Med is a stricter Tumah by like every standard pretty much, right? It, there's no way in which Tumat Med is less strict than Tumat Keri, but it has a leniency that you're allowed to go on Har Habayit. And the reason for the leniency is because that Tumah doesn't come from within the body. It comes from something that you had contact with. So even though it would seem like it's saying, oh, we should exclude Balkari from the category of Zav, it's actually saying, no, we should exclude the Balkari from the category of Tememet, even though Balkari is not quite as severe as a Zav, still it's not more similar to a, a, to a Tumat tuma Met. It's more similar to Zav because it's something that comes out of the body. It's just not as severe of a Tumat. Right? right? Yeah. Only for, well, they, they didn't go on Har Habayit. For, they went on a different mountain for the, um, for the Paraduma. So, oh, but yeah, but technically, Tzmeimet people could go on the Harabite. Yeah, it had to be done in a particular place. But they went, yeah, they went on the mountain facing the Harabite. They, 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 yeah, the Harazim, they, they, they could see into. They had the the wall of the um, of the of the Azaran. The outside was was uh, sloped down like this, so you could actually see from Harazim. You could see into the uh, to the Beit Hamikdash from there. Yeah. Anyway, Tanet. Mitzvah has a whole complicated process. Balkari just goes to the mikveh. So he has to do both. Yeah. So I just have to do both. You can remove one tumah without the other. Meaning, if Mitzvah is a Balkari, he can go to the mikveh, he won't be a Balkari, he will just be Mitzvah. It's not like all or nothing. That's why today they say, that's why you can, yeah. You can get rid of Kari, even though you can't get rid of tumah. Yeah, he can. Why not? Yeah, Tanei Tanat Kamedor Av Yitzchak Bar Avdimi. This is talking about the Mitzvah. He should, uh, no, it's not actually. Uh, right, this is talking about the Balkari, right? Yes. This is talking about the, uh, the army, right? So a person who has Mikri Laila is talking about, right? Right. That's what I was saying, a nocturnal emission. Right, so a person who has a nocturnal emission has to go out of the camp. Is the end of the Pasuk, right? It was with his wife, no? Um, it says Mikre Elai, that's what Pasuk says. As opposed to any other forms of getting... Uh, I don't know, you know. It's, ta- it's mainly talking there anyway about the army. It's talking about the army, who brings their wife to the army. <laughs> I don't think that they usually do that. Yeah, so it says, When it says that he should leave the machane, it means machane shechina. That's telling you that the Balkari is not allowed in either one of the machanot. He's not allowed in the, in the Mishkan and he's not allowed in the Machane Leviyah, which today would be the Har Habayit. Okay? That's why it says, It says it twice. He should go out and he shouldn't come in. Double. Right? That's why we know that the Balkari has to leave two machanot. He has to leave the Bet HaMikdash. He has to leave Har Habayit. Fine. Amar Lei... So he said to him, in other words, this Tana said this in front of Yitzchak of Dimi, and he said to him, That's a strange way of reading the Pasuk. Because you're saying he, he didn't even go out yet, and he's coming in. You said, he should go out, and he shouldn't come in. What do you mean he should go out and shouldn't come in? Let's say a guy's standing in your house. You say, go out and don't, he should go out and not come in. I mean, he didn't even leave yet. So what are you talking about coming in yet? 
right? It's, it's a strange language. Another version of the statement was, you didn't send him out yet. You're already talking about bringing him in. In other words, the pasuk is strange to say, leave and don't come in when he hasn't left yet. You're already talking about him not coming in. Well, we do right? say leave and don't come back. That's, that's another thing. Right? But, <laughs> when it says he should go, <laughs> they're talking about machane that he should leave, leave machane So he reverses the order. Fine. In other words, he's saying, he's right, he's saying you get out of the machane and don't even, don't come to the Beit HaMikdash. So that, that makes sense. But saying leave the machane shechina and don't come into Machana Leviyah doesn't make sense because if you leave the Machana Shekhinah, you're going into the Machana Leviyah. So how, it, it, it won't make sense. Right? So that's, he's saying the pas, reverse the order. Okay, now, Matkiv Laravina, Ema Idim Idil Machana Shekhinah, Blavola Vase Velotase. How do you know that he's not allowed to go into the Machana Leviyah? This seems to be an issue. Everyone's arguing this point, right? So, uh, he says, maybe they're both talking about Machana but one is a Lotase, one is an Ase. One is saying, leave, and the other one is saying, don't come. One is a Lotase, one is an Ase, positive and negative. Or it could say, right? So meaning, it could just say, let him leave and not come back. Or it could have just said, El Tocho, or El Tochad, depending on whether it's feminine or masculine, because Machana is one of the words that sometimes the Torah uses it in Lashon uh, Nekevad, sometimes Zachar. But, uh, but anyway, so it says, Hamachane Lamali. Why does it say the word Hamachane? To tell you that there's two different machanot he's not allowed to go into, double language. The bottom line is that is what the halakha is, that the Balkari is not allowed to go on the Harabite. Why do they want to learn machane ha machane? Doesn't mean anything? Uh, they didn't say? I don't know that. that. What? Yeah. Who knows? So you have omichui kravav, cleaning out the internal organs of the Korban Pesach is allowed on Shabbat. My michui kravav, what is this? They would cut them open with a knife and allow the waste to come out. He says that there's a certain like um, uh, uh, fattiness or uh, gunk or whatever that comes out when you push the knife against it. It's not talking about making a hole in the organ to take out the waste, but it's talking about pressing against it and some stuff would ooze out of there. And the main point was that if you don't um, remove this stuff, it will basically sit in there and it will ruin the meat and it will ruin the Korban Pesach. It's going to be disgusting. You won't be able to eat it. So therefore, even though it's Shabbat, you're allowed to do this part of the service to save the Korban. Should say, Amar Rabbi El Azar. What? It's Shabbat. So the, no, these are the parts that you're taking home. You only put the fr- you only put the fats of the korban pesach on the on the on the altar. Only the fats. Yeah, only the part that the chelav you put. So my ta'ama the chiyabarav. What's the reasoning? Where do you get this idea that michui means this kind of a uh, something gross that's inside that you're that you're extracting? Where do you get it from? He gets it from pasuk. The pasuk says, and it's talking about uh, it's talking about the times of uh, redemption. It's in Yeshayahu. Um, and it's talking about the people who were the, uh, uh, the uh, what it refers to as the mechim. It says, V'chovot mechim garim yochelu. That the mechim, what is left, the ruins of the mechim, will be eaten by the garim, which is interpreted to mean that the righteous people will eat what the, left, the, what the wicked people left behind. But mechim is the term used for the people who are low. Okay, bad people. My mashma, what does it mean? Like Rav Yosef, like Rav Yosef explained. Right, the uh, the the nechasim, the property, right, of the wicked people. They will inherit it. The righteous people will inherit it. Okay, 
So the, the meaning to say that mechim, the word mechim means something bad, something gr- disgusting. The wicked people are being described in a way to, uh, uh, you know, in a way that is negative, and that's the. Um, and that's the uh, why he uses that term to refer to the stuff that needs to be t- taken out of the uh, uh, of the innards of the korban pesach, so it doesn't ruin it. Now the next pasuk says, "This is actually the beginning of the pasuk of that same pasuk, right?" It says that the uh, they they will shepherd the sheep kidovram like it was spoken or something to that nature, right? Kvasim is the Israel. It means that the, the, the righteous people will lead. The Jewish people are the sheep here, right? Meaning that they're the, they're the like we say, your flock. You're leading your flock. It doesn't mean you're leading actually uh, sheep. It means you're leading a group, right? It means like it was said about them. Kidovram means like was said about them. And Rashi says like uh, the Navi promised that they would be led by great leaders. That's what, how they will be led. What does it mean that they will be uh, as it was said about them? The same thing it says in the Pasuk. That the righteous people will be able to, just like it was said, that the righteous people will inherit and benefit from the, the, the nechassim, the property of the wicked people. That's what's going to be fulfilled in them. In other words, the first part of the Pasuk that says they will be led according to what's spoken about them means the fact that they will be able to inherit the property of the wicked. If there was no Vav in the Pasuk, I would believe you. But the beginning of the Pasuk says that they will be led according to the way that you said. And, the, and they will eat. It says, and they will eat. The, well, yeah, so it's two different things. One is the leading, one is the eating. Two different things. That the, it means that the tzaddikim, means that, the, that the, they will lead, meaning the righteous people will lead the Jewish people as it was stated about them that they will have this power to do and it says over there in another pasuk, uh, it's making a bunch of connections here. But basically, it says here they will um, uh, they will pasture them, right? They will pasture according to uh, what was said about them. That's how it's interpreting it. And it also says bashan vegilad olam. Okay, that the bashan and gilad will pasture, will be, will you know, will be in the in, in you know taken care of olam. bashan zeelisha. Bashan is a reference to Elisha Hanavi. Uchtiv, po Elisha ben Shafat, asher yotagmaim al yidei Eliyahu. Because he's called, because Shafat, um, oh, I skipped the part of the Pasuk, right? I skipped the part of it, right? Elisha ba mina Bashan. Right, he came from Bashan. Bashan is Elisha because he came from there. Because it's when it describes the lineage, it says Vianev Shafat Bashan. These are two people, and his father's name was Shafat. Right, we learn that Uchtiv Po Elisha Ben Shafat. In other words, he was from the area of Bashan because you see that his father was from the area of Bashan, and that's what Bashan is a rem is. It's a hint to Elisha Gilad Eliyahu. Gilad. He was from Gilad. We say Eliyahu Giladi. Right. So therefore, the word Bashan VeGilad is a reference to these two Nevi'im. These two Nevi'im both were able to resurrect the dead because we know that Eliyahu brings back the boy and, and Elisha does it also twice right he, so he uh, he's able to resurrect people so therefore when it says they will be led like Kidovram it means like was said about Bashan and and uh, and Gilad which really is Eliyahu and Elisha in the future the Tzadikim will bring the dead back to life as it says as it says 
because it says that in the future, and we know this is a very famous pasuk, that there will be elderly people on the streets of Yerushalayim, and a person will, be, will need a, a walking stick because he'll be so old. Uchtiv, and it says, mishanti al When it talks about the, uh, the what? Where does it say that? Oh, oh, it's samta. Oh, sorry, samta. Yeah, because it's telling him what to do. Because it's that was where uh, I saw the yud before, and I transposed it to after. But yeah, but see, that was when he tells Gehazit to go and to to uh, resurrect the child. First, he sends him ahead of him, but then he comes, right? But the point is that he tells him to put the stick on his face, right? So the uh, so that that mish that mishanti is a reference there again to the word mishanto. That uh, that it's going to be that that just like it says that the stick of uh, of Elisha was able to resurrect the dead, so too they'll be able to resurrect the dead. The tzaddikim. Okay. Now Ula Rami Ula brought a contradiction. It says Kediv Bilama It says that death will be swallowed up forever. Uchtiv Yamut. But it says people will die at a hundred years old. That they're going to die. One is talking about Jews. One is talking about the idolaters. Why are we talking about the idolaters over there when we talk about people dying at a hundred years old? It's supposed to. Why would we be talking about the non-Jews? Because um, it says Because it says that the non-Jews will be the ones who are doing the work for you. Right, so they'll be able to work until 100. There's no retirement is the point. You know, they work until 100 years old, and they're gonna, or, or we're going we're gonna to bring the retirement age up because they're going to be working for you. That's why it's relevant because they're going to be your farmers, they're going to be your workers. That's why it's relevant. Now, he brought another pasuk that is in contradiction. It says that the moon will be embarrassed and the sun will be embarrassed, right? Meaning that in the future when Hashem's Shekhinah uh, is revealed in the, you know, in the end of day's time that the sun will be dimmed, it sounds like Rashi says. It means that like, uh, it's not going to gonna create light. And, um, and, and, and that the moon won't create light because it will be so dimmed by the presence of the Shekhinah. But then it says, But then it says that the, moon, the moon's light will be like the light of the sun. And the light of the sun is going to be like Shiv'ataim of the sun, of the light of seven days. Right? Yeah, so he says it means, um, well, she says there that it means, it means, Arbaim uh, Right, shivatai means forty-nine times the seven times seven days, meaning it will be the light. As she says of forty-nine times seven, which is three hundred and forty-three <coughs> uh, days. He says, right? What that, does that mean? it's going to be very bright. bright. You're going to need sunglasses all the time. That's what it's trying to tell you. Well, is that right? Too hot. People are not going to die from all that. So yeah, they'll have really good air conditioning by then. Like I don't know. Yeah, it'll be like, <laughs> like LED maybe. Yeah. No, it it'll be like Arizona in the summer. It doesn't mean there's no, cool light. no, no night cool and light. day. Well, that's what it sounds like. I mean, most of the mefarshim honestly interpret these things all as a metaphor. This is the mashalum litzah. It's not literal that you're not going to ever have a night. You're not going. It's saying that the 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 light is is a metaphor for you know people will be enlightened, it's spiritual, light, spiritual light. light. It's not taking we can't take it too literally. The Rambam also talks about it a lot. That this is obviously not literal. That it's all of a sudden the sun is going to be bright. What? It's yeah, either that or it's just talking about you know the way that we would say there's going to be a bright new day ahead. It's going to be such a bright time, time of light. You know, it doesn't mean literally the, the sun is going to shine, but they're using it as a metaphor. Either way, 
you know, but the point is that Lakashia, so the point is that how could it say in one Pasuk that in the future the sun is going to turn off and the moon is going to be dimmed, and then another one says, no, it's going to be super bright. Is the purely spiritual. Yomot HaMashiach is the time of redemption, but in this world, where the world, you know, uh, so it's saying that in the times of the uh, of Yomot HaMashiach, which is the, uh, there will still, there will be a very bright light, but then in the time in the Olam Abba, which is the ultimate future world, and it will be pure Shekhinah, pure spiritual, and then it will, then, then the sun and the moon will be dimmed. That's how they interpret it first. But then, but yeah, but then, what about Shmuel that says that there's not going to be any change in the world during the times of Mashiach? It's going to be a regular natural world. Just that things will be better. We won't be enslaved to the nations of the world, but we'll basically be, nature will be, run its course. Right? So, what's he going to say? So, both of these psukim can only be talking about Olam Haba. It depends. In the Machaneshchina, in the presence of God, in the Beta Mikdash, and whatever it means by Machaneshchina here, right? In the presence of the Shechina, the sun and the moon will be like nothing. But in the Machaneshchina, when what's around the Tzadikim, there will be a bright light. Okay. We don't really fully understand what the metaphors are all here. Here, but with, yeah, we're clearly I, talking about spiritual it's, it's saying that's something even higher something oh, even higher yeah. yeah yeah that's something even higher after the yeah. building of Bet yeah of course it says I, I bring death I kill and I bring to life that I strike, I wound, and I heal. If Hashem can bring life, obviously He can heal. So what's the chidush of the pasuk? What it means is, It's saying to you that it doesn't mean one guy's going to die and another guy's going to live. It means the same person that Hashem kills, he can bring back to life. It's talking about resurrection, the ability to bring life back. Just like a, a person, the same person who is sick gets healed, the same person who dies come back to life. Right? So, and as opposed to reading the Pasuk as some people I kill and some people I bring to life. That's not what it means. It says, I bring, I bring, you know, I kill and I, I bring back to life. And this is again from, this is from Hazinu. Right? Maybe you'll think that the, uh, that uh, the, it's two different people, right? The person who is um, who who is dying is one person. Person is living another person. Like normal situation, the same person doesn't die and then come back to life. But that I wound and I heal. Just like when somebody gets hurt and somebody gets healed, it's the same person. Right? It's one person. No. This is a, a, a response to one who would say there's no indication of from the Torah because you see from here that Hashem can bring to life the same person that died. Uh, and then it says, It says that in the beginning, that, uh, that, um, that uh, in the beginning, the way people will come back is the way that they died. Meaning, if a person was blind, they come back blind. If a person was lame, they come back lame. If a person was deaf, they come back deaf. But then, then I will heal them. In other words, the person will come back uh, the way that they died in whatever condition, but then Hashem will heal them of that condition so they can have a new lease on life, as they say. Now, Samachet Amudbet says as follows, we know that one of the things that we're allowed to do when... Erev Pesach falls on Shabbat is put the chalavim, put the fats of the korban on the mizbeach. Tani, we learned in the Brayta, Rabbi Shimon. You see how beloved a mitzvah is when done at its proper time. Because really, you could put 
the fats and the limbs and everything at nighttime on the Mizbech. Because really, a korban that's brought during the day, normally you can put it at night. The only thing is, but here we don't wait for it. In other words, even though technically in the Bet HaMikdash, normally uh, anything that's left over, we could wait until the nighttime to put it on the Mizbech. But here we put it on, on Sh- even though it's Shabbat, we put it on right away. Or, uh, even though it would be kosher to wait, but we don't do that. So we also said that carrying it in any way is not allowed, is not permitted, because it's not considered absolutely necessary for the mitzvah one of the things it said you couldn't do was cut off a wart from the uh, there was a mum from the animal so it's, but it says you could do that in the but just not outside and if you uh, if you do it with a vessel meaning you do it with a knife then it's prohibited even in the Beit HaMikdash but if you do it with your hand it's allowed so what, what's the uh, what's the issue why does it say you're not allowed to do that two possible answers so why does one source say that you're not allowed and one source says you are allowed to remove the wart or whatever it is on the growth on the body of the animal? Both of them are talking about with your hand, but there's a difference because one that is soft is really part of the body of the animal still. So when you're pulling it off, you're really like, that would not be allowed even with the hand. A dry one is already dried up. It's not really part of the animal anymore. So that would be okay in the Beit HaMikdash, even though outside it wouldn't be okay. Right? The other one says, no, they're both talking about where it's moist. One is talking about where you used your hand. And that is why it says in the Mikdash you're allowed to do it. The other one is talking about where you use a knife where you're not allowed to do it. According to that, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he give the other answer? And and say why didn't he like the answer that one could be talking about a soft uh, uh, growth that's really part of the body, and, and one is talking about a dried one? He says because a dry one is not really an issue at all. It just rubs right off. It just wipes right off. It's nothing. So that wouldn't be the issue. The only issue is whether you remove a wart from the animal that is attached to the animal still with the hand or with the, or, or with the knife. And in the Beit HaMikdash, you're allowed to do it by hand. Outside, you're not allowed to. Why, according to the other interpretation that wanted to distinguish between soft and dry or moist and dry warts, why doesn't he just distinguish between hand and vessel? That's a better distinction. It says, no, because it says explicitly there, it's very clear that it says if you're using your, your, a vessel, it's prohibited both in, outside of the Beit HaMikdash and inside. So why would you assume that it's, that it's making a distinction? In other words, it explicitly says there, Kli, right, that you're not allowed to, even after saying that outside you're not allowed to. So the outside that you're not allowed to can't be talking about kli, must be talking about hand. Because it says you're not allowed to outside the Beit HaMikdash and in the Beit HaMikdash you're not even allowed to if you use a knife. Right? So why would the first part be talking about hand? So it says, The reason why it mentions kli is because it wants to, in other words, even though it was explicitly stated already once that you cannot remove a growth using a vessel uh, not in the Beit HaMikdash and not outside, it wanted to make the point of the machlokah between Rabbi Eliezer, that Rabbi Eliezer is lenient about that and he allows it. So they wanted to make that point, so they brought that issue again. But really, the only difference is whether you use a kli or whether you use your hand. It doesn't matter what kind of a growth it is on the body of the animal. All that matters is how you do it. And if you do it with your hand and it's inside the Beit HaMikdash, it's okay. If it's outside, it's not okay. And if you use a knife, it's never going to be okay. Okay, that's the basic conclusion. Now, Gemara says, He says, if you can do shechita, right, then why shouldn't you be able to do other things related to the korban? 
So he says, Rabbi Yoshua, and what was his example? He gave the example uh, because, because he gave the example of uh, bringing food from outside the Tehum, right, on Shabbat. Right? Because, uh, because Rabbi Eliezer said, uh, Rabbi Eliezer said, because uh, Rabbi Yoshua said to Rabbi Eliezer, what about on Yom Tov? You're not allowed to just bring food from outside the Tehum, even though it's for food. Even though it's only a rabbinic prohibition, the Tehum in most cases, you're not allowed to do it for food, even though you're allowed to cook. So you're allowed to do a biblical thing, but you're not allowed to do a rabbinical thing. And Rabbi Eliezer said, I have a problem with that too. You should be able to, right? He said, it doesn't make sense. But Rabbi Yoshua, letamei. Rabbi Yoshua says that Simchat Yom Tov is a mitzvah, and therefore the fact that you're not allowed to bring things from outside of the Tchum shows that even though it's a mitzvah, it doesn't override the rabbinic prohibition of Tchum. Rabbi Eliezer would say, I don't necessarily think that's a mitzvah, it's a reshut. It's not a mitzvah to eat specific things. Eat cucumbers. Why do you have to eat, uh, why do you have to eat, uh, apples? Eat something else. You don't need to bring something from outside the tchum to do the mitzvah, right? So, and, but Rabbi Yoshua says it is a mitzvah. We'll learn about this in Masachet Betzah, right? That according to Rabbi Eliezer, you have a choice. Make your activity on Yom Tov either eating and drinking or learning. Rabbi Yoshua says you have to do half and half. They have to do half and half. Okay? That's what he says. Half and half. Now, they learn it from the same pasuk. One pasuk says, the holiday is for Hashem, your God. One says, it's for you. So which one is it? He says, you got to pick. Choose either for yourself or for Hashem. Rabbi Yoshua In other words, they're both saying that you have to choose basically a way of expressing your joy that, resi- that you know, on Yom Tov. According to Rabbi Eliezer, choose the type of joy that best it can, that you connect with the most. If your type of joy is learning, joy of learning, he doesn't mean you fast all day. He just means it's not a mitzvah to sit and have a formal meal. Okay, you you mainly learn all day, and in fact, there's a there's a story in Masachet Beitzah that he criticized each person leaving. They were leaving early. He said, "Oh, that guy must have a very big meal, and that guy's a little bit smaller. That guy they lived a little bit later, and that guy's leaving a little bit later than that." Has a very small. He was criticizing them because he thought that they should stay and learn, not that he thought they should fast, but meaning that they could eat a snack or whatever, and uh, they didn't have to have a big meal. No, that was Rabbi Eliezer. What? You're not allowed to fast. Yeah, you're not supposed to fast. I'm saying, just because he says, Kulo doesn't mean it's Yom Kippur. I'm saying it means that, you know, it means that you don't have to have a formal uh, meal. And therefore, and that's called uh, the idea that half is, that Kulo Lashem, O Kulo Lashem, So therefore, according to him, who says, you have, who says the mitzvah to bring food from outside the Tchum? You don't, there's no such mitzvah. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that to celebrate the holiday. And unlike uh, bringing a Korban Pesach, well, you have to do it. So you can't tell me that I just won't bring my, my animal from outside the Tchum and I'll be okay. You won't be okay because you won't have a Korban Pesach. Okay, so we'll pick up from here tomorrow. I don't know.